0: Wait, has this ingenious progressive unlocked the key to winning from the left? I'm Matt Robeson, this is Beyond Politics. We're on YouTube on the Blue Amp channel and of course available as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm delighted to welcome maybe the most interesting candidate running this cycle. I don't say that lightly and it's not in a race that you would normally pay attention to. I would understand if you as the audience were asking, wait, why are you bringing a candidate for District 9 supervisor in San Francisco onto the show to a national audience? And I'm telling you, it's worth paying attention to because Trevor Chandler, you're seeing some really interesting stuff. It's just delightful to have you on the show.
1: Thanks, Matt. Happy to be here.
0: And full disclaimer, Trevor and I go back about 15 years. Now Mm -hmm. we used to work together for Paul Hodes, who co-hosts Beyond Politics with me. That's where I first encountered him. Little did I know that you would be a groundbreaking political candidate
1: eventually. I know. After I talked with Paul, I told him I have so much of a greater appreciation for what he did as a congressional and a Senate candidate. And I'm just at the supervisor level, so I can only imagine what it was like. But yeah, who would have thought you two gave me my first job 15 years ago? I've teased the idea
0: that your race is worth paying attention to You don't run away from any of what would seem to be a bunch of Fox News charges about San Francisco, about crime, about homelessness, about addiction, about policing. You say, yes, those are real. These are problems that people who live in San Francisco care about. This is about governing our city. And what you're trying to do that's so interesting to me is you're trying to defeat the attack from the right Mm -hmm. by saying... No, this is not a contradiction in terms. I can be someone with progressive values. By the way, not to call you out, we're not into identity politics here, but I'm a gay man who is marrying a black. (laughs) Oh no. Oh, how would people ever
1: know? Yeah, the HRC logo in the background didn't give it away.
0: You're right. You worked for the human rights campaign. So you are an unabashed progressive who is putting front and center. I want to make our streets safe because we have a crime problem. We're not going to coddle anybody here. And I'm going to show that you can have progressive values and you can govern. That's my summary of it. Is that what you're running to prove in a nutshell?
1: Yeah, it is. And because I believe, listen, Fox is going to hate us. Even if we run a perfect city in San Francisco, Fox is going to hate us and they're going to come for us. And so I'm not running to impress the Fox News viewers because we're always going to be a dying city compared to Fox. But there is a real concern here in the city about just getting the basics done right. One of the reasons that I was so excited to move to San Francisco growing up as a little gay boy in New Hampshire, was I saw San Francisco as this progressive beacon and just so many across the country. We see San Francisco when we think marriage equality, we think Gavin Newsom swearing in Kamala Harris calling up the courts, telling them they have to do the marriage equality laws and they have to recognize these uh, these marriages. We think of the ending the war on drugs by actually legalizing weed and actually having cannabis dispensers here first in the nation. And so that's what drew me because I, was, I knew for all the bad that was there, was any city that San Francisco was a progressive beacon. And living here for the last six years, and then obviously exacerbated or the last seven, eight years, and then exacerbated by COVID, we see a lot of just real problems that all these other cities are dealing with too. And if we're going to maintain our status as a progressive beacon and showing that progressives can actually govern, we need to get the basics right so we can be a progressive beacon. It's like the Pete Buttigieg end of things. I know it's like, you have to, it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but by being a progressive city that is responsive and fills the potholes and gets people into housing and has a bureaucracy that actually works and a government that works for the people instead of itself, these are the unsex things that San Francisco is looking for. We all, we pay a good amount of taxes here in San Francisco. And there's no one I've talked to who has said, we want to cut taxes or we want, we think we're overtaxed or blah, blah, blah. What people get upset about is when they're paying these taxes and they're not getting the services they're promised for them. They're not getting the results that they expect for living in a progressive society. You look at the school board recall numbers, every single precinct in D9 supported the recall of our school board members because they were too busy and spending a million dollars renaming the schools instead of getting kids back in them. That's what I'm running on. What I've seen is there's that tension of both wanting to be the bastion of progressivism for the city, at the same time, just wanting the buses to run on time. You jump in the first line,
0: practically, of your announcement video talking about empty apartments, that there are yeah. families living on the streets. Yeah. You say crime is out of control. That is yeah. right out of the Fox News playbook, man. Drugs are being sold, used right but, out in the open. It. I have a lot of conservative thinkers on my show because I'm interested in them. If they're reasonable, <clears throat> if they're not MAGA morons, if they have a reasonable ideological difference with me, but intelligent, thoughtful things to say. I'm curious. I want to listen to them and I want to learn. And I'm telling you a lot of the language you're using would not be foreign to them. They would agree, but you're not coming at it from a place of, there's always a suspicion that I harbor. I'm not a gay man living in San Francisco, (laughs) but to me, what I always used to hear was like, I'm a Jewish dude. So what I always used to hear was, when the right would criticize liberal New Yorkers, we all know who they're talking about when they say New Yorkers. San Francisco, we know who they're talking about when they say San Francisco. And when you said a moment ago that you want to make the trains and the buses run on time, you're really talking about cleaning up the streets, mm-hmm. making things work. You know, you, you're not going to let woke progressive showmanship stand in the way of that. You're going to focus on the core of getting shit done.
1: And I think this is one. This was the big dichotomy. An example we had with our DA recall here, because love or hate our former DA, I think a lot of political professionals and observers, both in San Francisco and out of San Francisco, will say he made a, a key, uh, a key error. I think it's just who he was. Is that he had a lot of people on the street in our city in the Tenderloin here in the Mission saying, "Listen, we are seeing crime every day. We are seeing our cars broken into. We are seeing all these things with our own eyes." And what he would do, he would just point to a graph and say, but the numbers are going down. This is what the numbers say. So what you're seeing in front of you isn't real. Are you going to believe me or your
0: lion eyes? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, and that so, always and,
0: works in politics, by the way.
1: I know, right? And there's a lot of discourse around what the numbers were like. I personally think because of our a lot of our failing systems, people aren't reporting as many of the crimes that they're actually experiencing anymore because I had my car broken into six months ago or so. I called 911, I report it. I get a call 12 hours later saying, hey, are you still where your car was? And can we come look at it? And there's a lot of people who have had their cars broken in multiple times had those same experiences. So I think there's a lot of people who have just given up on actually reporting crimes. But regardless of all of that, there there was an incentive for folks to say, no, it's not as bad as it is. And he eventually got recalled. And so what I'm saying is I actually see these issues. I want to dive into them. We need to, no elected official in San Francisco should be satisfied until anyone feels safe walking the city at any time at night. And there shouldn't be a graph that when we hit this number, we stop caring about public safety. It needs to always be on our mind um, whenever someone feels unsafe. And yeah, it's one of those things. I, and I think that's one of the reactionary issues why there are some folks in San Francisco who want to ignore the problems because they don't want to feed into this. The Fox News. Asshats, for a no better term, the Tucker Carlson. You can
0: say that.
1: I no beep because they don't want they don't want to give them credit and they don't want to say oh they don't, we don't want to give them ammo. And you know what? I'm I just make a choice to ignore. It's funny. Uh, the trolls I've gotten online have, uh, mostly have been from the right, from the Fox News end of spectrum, saying oh you're a failing city, you're a failing whatever. Don't your progressives destroyed it? Because those folks are invested in San Francisco failing. They're invested in progressivism failing. They're invested in progressive governance failing, and that's why. they distribute that narrative and there's a there is a genuine fear of okay if we actually admit there are there is a problem are we are we giving them more ammo to shit on us and what i'm saying is i'm a recovering alcoholic i've been in recovery seven years and the saying is you can't solve a problem until you admit you have a problem and so i think the best way we can actually push back against the Fox News crazies and the people on the right that want San Francisco progressivism to fail is to show them that we actually see the issues that are in front of us and we're willing to tackle them head on. Let's take a break. We'll be right back.
0: One of the things that we've lost in the move toward an absolutism an all or nothing tribal brand of politics that we're living through right now, we've lost the ability to perform political jujitsu. The best way to defang an attack is to say, yeah, I agree. And that's why I want to do this. It's to redirect and reframe and to offer something with your agenda attached to it. And it's what, you know, the best, what political insiders will tell you is read the book Hardball by Chris Matthews. I know he got into trouble on his show later. But when we hired you, I may have even said this to you. I always say to young politicos, read Hardball. It's the Mm -hmm. best practical guide to doing politics that exists. And one of the chapters is called always concede on principle, meaning you don't have to fight the principle of something simply because you need to oppose where the other side is coming from. And yet Democrats and particularly progressives our dear progressive friends on the further left than I am. We love you. You are our friends.
1: We do. You're I'm one of them. Yeah, yes. I am one of them.
0: You're my man. You're my dude. You're <laughs> my, you're my to you, bro. I'm probably, like
1: a, I'm probably a Marxist communist, and that's sure. the thing. a thing. A moderate in San Francisco is a communist anywhere else. A progressive in San Francisco, you can only imagine. It's all
0: relative, but progressives, the whole Democratic Party, we fall into this always concede on principle trap mm-hmm. over and over again. So. The right decides in their lab of evil, they decide to concoct this, ooh, let's fight critical race theory. It's scary. Mm. And it has the word race in it. Double bonus. Mm. And then for some fakakta reason, progressives feel like, no, we need to explain to you. We must lecture you. On why critical race theory, first of all, we have to explain what it is. And then about 20 minutes later, we must tell you why it's good. And by the time you've woken up from your nap, we will have bludgeoned you into agreeing with us. Don't you love our facts? It sucks. It politically sucks. And we do this on CRT. And we do this on woke. We do this on trans issues. And, of course, we do this on defund the police, which Mm. finally... and I. This is all kind of wending around to you. You've taken a really interesting approach when it comes to policing. We know that crime is an effective message area for Republicans. It is. And it's because people care about it. Everyone cares about it. And we don't want to fall into the Fox News fallacy Mm -hmm. because they're exaggerating. Doesn't mean that there's not a huge kernel of truth in it. Mm -hmm. And It tied Democrats up in knots. And you just released a really interesting video that I'm going to splice right in right here, where you talk about policing from a standpoint of let's make it more effective. I'm going to be critical of the police, but I also ultimately support and want to enable the police's job because it super duper matters to me and the people I'm running to represent. Let's take a
1: look at that. Hi, I'm Trevor Chandler, and you're probably wondering what is a candidate for D9 Supervisor in San Francisco doing in San Mateo at San Francisco International Airport? And I think a better question is, what is the SFPD doing here with hundreds of officers instead of having those officers on our street in San Francisco? A lot of folks don't know that SFPD has a lucrative contract with the airport. This is not mandated by law, it is simply a matter of convenience, and there are actually other law enforcement organizations that would love to take this on. We all know that we are in a police staffing crisis in San Francisco and when San Franciscans are dealing with unacceptable response times to their 911 calls and when we actually have to call in the National Guard in order to interrupt the fentanyl crisis, it makes absolutely no sense for to have hundreds of SFPD officers here when we need them protecting our small businesses and neighborhoods. now a 2020 report by the Board of Supervisors itself, has said that doing this would put over 200 officers back on San Francisco streets. It would save SFO $5 million and it would save the city and county of San Francisco over $31 million. This is common sense. I'm calling on the city to take action. I want the SFPD fully staffed so San Franciscans don't only see their police during times of crisis or driving 70 miles an hour through our neighborhoods. I want them talking to our neighbors, talking to our small businesses, and building those relationships. And that can only happen if our force is fully staffed. It's time to take action. It's time for the SFPD to come home.
0: So what was the core of the message you were trying to get across in that video?
1: The core of the message is that I'm a firm believer in community policing. We need beat cops. It allows these cops to take care of situations before they even start, intercept them before they escalate into crises. And when you have the community who actually knows who their beat cops are, that in itself increases police accountability. Because if there are bad actors, and there's always gonna be bad actors in every profession, but if obviously much more heightened scrutiny, rightfully so on cops, if there is a bad actor, now the neighborhood knows who that person is and we're able to call that out faster. San Francisco, it has the same issue that a lot of state police de- departments have across the country. We're severely understaffed. Do I support a fully staffed police department? Absolutely, but that does not mean that I give them a blank check. Again, it's about common sense. I joke that I'm gonna try to win everyone's vote by pissing everyone off, which is by using common sense and going after some of these sacred cows It's bound, I'm bound to say something to someone that they're going to disagree with. What you're going to get with me is someone you're probably going to agree with 90% of the time. And those other 10%, you at least know where I'm coming from and I'm not going to bullshit you about it.
0: What resonates with me is I have a deep, passionate belief in incremental progress. I like spreadsheets. I like Mm -hmm. budgets. And what tends to drive me a little crazy, there is a certain myopia around what Bernie would call big, bold solutions. And that's great. I am all for big, bold solutions. They're very rare.
1: But here's the thing about San Francisco is that we embrace the fact that we are on the edge of the progressive sphere. And that's something we believe in. But that's where this tension is. We want to be on the cutting edge. We want to be on the forefront. But we can't be on the forefront of the big ideas unless we're doing the little things right. And so that's really the tension. How do we maintain that forward-looking, wanting to be on the forefront of progressive change, but making sure we're filling the potholes?
0: There are – people say the devil is in the details. No. No the angel is in the details. It's the ability to wade in at the spreadsheet level. Because what you're talking about in that video is what I want to achieve, what my values are, is safety combined with accountable policing, because you don't want your husband to get pulled over because he's a black dude. Yep. And what you're showing us, I think, is way to thread the needle between them there's
1: also big bold ideas there's other things when you talk about racial profiling as it's it, no matter how many dei classes you put your cops through it's been proven that there's always better racial profiling continues as it relates to traffic stops and so one of the big bold ideas that I think we can institute in San Francisco that hasn't been done before here but it's been done elsewhere is putting in speed cams and red light cams I want to remove cops from traffic enforcement so they can actually spend time more time being the beat cops and so 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 that way we're also dealing with racial profiling. We're increasing community policing and we're maintaining order on our streets because right now our ticket enforcement has gone completely in the tank again, because of the tension. We don't want to enable racial profiling and traffic enforcement, but we also want to keep our streets safe.
0: I think one of the reasons you're able to do this. And one of the reasons that I have confidence in this, and I'm not just endorsing you, Don't let your fundraising team know. I'll probably give you some cash at some point.
1: (laughs) Trevor4sf.com. There it is. There it
0: is. Part of the reason I'm endorsing what you're trying to achieve here is that I have a great level of faith in your ability to do it because I've seen you over the years show the emotional intelligence and acumen and grace to be able to do it. And I was talking before about being able to jujitsu.
1: Oh, God! Part of my progressive training. So I cut my teeth on the LGBTQ civil rights movement and marriage equality. I was doing organizing in Michelle Bachman's district in Minnesota. And my job, one of my specialties was actually having conversations with Republicans and bringing Republicans over. And this, what I learned very early on going into these conversations, was that you had to address the elephant in the room right away or else you would get, you would one, spoil the relationship for at least another couple of meetings, or they just would lose respect for you. You both know why you're there. You both know why you're having the conversation. So let's just dig in and bring it up. Especially when it comes to marriage equality, it was like, let's just, let's talk about it. You don't believe gay and lesbian, gay and lesbian people should get married. Let's talk about it. And we just dive in. And that's my training. And I also worked, I worked on Middle East politics and it was the same thing, navigating the, navigating Middle East politics in the progressive community. I wouldn't go in and try to bite me around the bush. I would literally say, this is what we're here for. This is how you, this is how I think you're feeling. Let's talk about it. And so it, it's a key part of my organizing. It's a key part of who I am personally is just like, talk about the tough shit. Let's take a
0: break. We'll be right back. And also, don't get thrown off by kind of it, it's a version of always concede on principle. Don't mm-hmm. get thrown off by the wrapper of the principle. involved where people are coming from. You already know, it's already on the table. If you have to deal with conservatives, real conservatives, I'm not talking about MAGA idiots. If you need to deal with Republicans, that they're coming from a different place than you. And you know what? They may say some stuff that doesn't feel awesome because they're lacking some of the language that you're comfortable with. We may be lacking some of the language that they're comfortable with. Okay, but where can we, if we find a way to connect on the areas we can agree and not put their backs up against a wall, then we can achieve something and we can make some progress. That's what progressivism is all about, is making progress. And what you've always cared most about is the actual making of the progress, not falling on your sword for a principle. And you told me this story once that resonated with me so deeply that I wrote an entire article about it. And you told me that a random guy walked up to you on the street and said. You look like Eli Manning, a better looking version, no homo. Which, for our younger listeners, no homo is a thing that dudes used to say to each other because of gay panic. You were afraid that if you said something nice to another dude, they'd be like, You're gay, bro. And so you'd say, No homo, I'm not really gay. And so he said this to you. And at that moment, you could have been like, You bigot. You could have taken umbrage at this. You would have been well within your rights. But instead, you said, I am a homo so I'll take it yeah. and he says right on Fistbumped. and then fist bump <laughs> this is one of my favorite stories in public and politics and it led to me that moment led that was to one of my right that now. was like
1: my first 6 months in San Francisco that happened yeah so like it's because it shows that it's in your DNA
0: right yeah. like this is who you are and it's so important that is so important it led to the best title I ever wrote for an article, <laughs> deplorables versus insufferables. Insufferable. We can't beat mm-hmm. the deplorables by being insufferables. The deplorables mm-hmm. are going to be who they are. Mm-hmm. And there's a vast swath of people who don't agree ideologically with us, but who are gettable. Mm-hmm. You proved yes. that as part of the human rights campaign, okay. changing America's views.
1: It's what we called the movable middle is. And so we would rank people from a one to five on marriage equality. One was anti-marriage equality. Five was pro-marriage equality. And the movable middle was right around the three to three and a half where we would have these conversations. This, we did this a lot in the Minnesota marriage campaign where we would do the phone banking. We'd do deep persuasion phone banking. And the goal wasn't necessarily to move someone from a four to a one. But it was to move them from a four to a three and a half or a three and a half to two. And then we would call them a couple of weeks later, hey, we'd have the notes like, hey, have this conversation. How are you feeling about it now? With the with the understanding that we were having a conversation with these people on an issue that they had been brought up. To know was part of their core values their core religious beliefs was that and so we were if we were to flip someone from a three to a, to a one chances are they were a one already but we met them where they were at we had the conversation we made clear about where we were we didn't try to pretend oh we're halfway there too we said hey this is what we believe it sounds based on your values it makes sense for you to believe this too let's talk about it and have that conversation and moving them in some cases and again it's not about necessarily even getting them on your side. For some cases, especially with these major churches that we were working with, it was about at least getting them not to work against us. So they'd be like, "You know what, I'm conflicted enough that I'm not going to vote for you. I'm not there yet, but I'm le- I'm going to hold my ammo and keep my powder dry and do it that way." There's a whole
0: field of psychology that deals with persuasion and yep. there's an acronym card conversion, activation, mm-hmm. reinforcement, and mm-hmm. deactivation. And my observation in 20 years of working in politics, is that conversion is very rare. It's very rare to convert people, but you can activate them, you can Mm -hmm. reinforce them, or you can deactivate them. And what's so important is that you didn't come in either judging people for where they were coming from, or inadvertently activating them by being oppositional. You were thoughtful about where they were at, and could you maybe deactivate them a little bit? Could you reinforce things that they already believed in a little but bit? Also,
1: this is important because I think this is where this sort of politics gets a bad rap. People will say, oh, you're just moving to the middle, or you're being a moderate or whatever. I want to make clear that having these conversations, I didn't dilute my progressivism once. I did not tone down my values. I did not tone down my progressivism. I didn't move. I didn't personally move to the moderate middle in order to have these moderate middle conversations. I am a hardcore progressive. And all of these conversations I walked into, I go into it hardcore progressive and I leave hardcore progressive. But that doesn't mean I can't have a conversation with someone in that movable middle without diluting my values while also coming from their perspective and trying to move them along.
0: I remember very clearly a conversation that you and I had about 15 years ago when America was in a very different place. And polling Mm -hmm. said that about two-thirds of Americans opposed marriage equality. Only Mm -hmm. one-third supported it. And I said, look, as a practical matter, I support civil unions because I think it's an interim step that will help get people used to the concept of same sex couples enjoying equal rights. And then we can move to marriage later. And look, Sasha Eisenberg Former guest on the show points out that there were people in the room who said, "We can't accept that. We have mm-hmm. to find a way to get mm-hmm. all the way, and America can get there. We can do this." You were about eight years ahead of your time. You were about eight <laughs> years ahead of the Supreme Court.
1: A were, I'm a I can be, I can put visionary on my
0: resume, and you were right. You were right about that, and very few people saw it. So you never gave an inch on that kind of thing. But look, just to bring this all full circle,
1: yeah.
0: I think that if you're a progressive and you're listening to this and you're like, wait, did Matt just shit on progressives a little bit? I'm really not. This is like (laughs) a teasing, the kind of teasing you give your sibling that is within the family. And for moderates, and I consider myself one, what I'm willing to say is, I think we all share, we're all part of the Democratic Party because we share core values. And what Trevor is trying to lay out is a roadmap toward how do we make those values real by being thoughtful and practical and doing the that hand-to-hand combat politics that it really takes to be effective. That's the thing that really matters is being effective at the end of the day. So I just, I think what you're laying out is really interesting.
1: Thanks. And like I said, I'm not working to win over the Fox News viewer at all. They're gonna they're gonna shit on San Francisco until the end of time. What I'm trying to do is make us earn the title of San Francisco Progressive. It, there used, it used to be the... Pre Fox and early Fox, and everyone would try to make fun of us by calling us San Francisco liberals. And it was something we put on t shirts. The Democratic Party in San Francisco would say, Damn, I'm a San Francisco liberal. We had the buttons and Nancy Pelosi's face on it and everything. And we were like, they were coming at us for being San Francisco liberals. And we were telling them, Hell yeah, we are. Let me show you how to do it. What I want to bring us back to is so everyone feels proud to say San Francisco progressive on their t shirt. Right now, we're not there because folks will feel embarrassed. I want to reclaim that. I want to say, damn, I'm a San Francisco progressive. Damn, this is how we do things in a progressive society. This is how we treat people with care and compassion and how we make sure that people get the resources we need rather than a failed war on drugs, making sure that we're actually getting people the care they need instead of just letting them die slower on the street. I want to reclaim that so we can go back to those places where we're printing off t-shirts that say San, Fran- San Francisco progressive on them. And I think we can do it. It's going to be tough. We've got 18 months until... November 2024. We have ranked choice voting. So there's no primary. We're going all the way to the end. And so yes, trevor4sf.com. That's the number 4sf.com. Awesome. Hey, best of luck in everything you're doing. And we'll check back in to see how it's going.